Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to Let's Talk About It. I will be joined by a panel of guests to discuss a social issue. We will discuss where we are at the moment with this issue, where we would like to be in the future, what challenges we face. We will also develop a roadmap of how we could potentially overcome these challenges and get to where we would like to be. So, assalamu alaikum and welcome to all of our uh, listeners. Uh, today we are going to discuss um, imamat, you know, being an imam in the UK, in Scotland. And in particular, we're going to try and focus around about um, the masjids um, as opposed to just generally being a scholar. Um, but we're going to look at particularly uh, issues around leading the Salah and being involved uh, within the Masjid. So my name is uh, Abad, inshallah, I'll be uh, hosting today's program. And uh, today I'm uh, very blessed that I've got uh, three guests with me today. So I'll introduce them, inshallah. So uh, first of all, on the phone, uh, we have um, Imam uh, Maulana Mustaqim Shahsad. And at the moment, he's in England. And he's also been Imam uh, here in Glasgow. So, inshallah, um, we have him on the phone. We also have uh, Imam uh, Qasim. Uh, he's a Maulana from uh, Glasgow as well. Uh, he's a young, uh, what's it called, uh, Imam in one of the masjids here. And we have um, another Imam who is not a full-time Imam, but is a volunteer and leads Jummah and uh, leads the Salah in the local masjid as well as doing uh, another job, and uh, this is uh, Hafiz Obed Rahman. Hafiz Obed Rahman. Okay, not so, Iman. not Iman, you are Iman, don't worry. <laughs> so, uh, so the first question I wanted to ask um, would be to uh, Morana Mustaqim Saab, um, could you explain to the listeners what is an Imam, uh, what does the word mean? Zakallah khair, brother Abad, for having me. And uh, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to all the listeners out there, many of them whom I would know and know me and have good, uh, mashallah, memories of uh, the Green Scotland. Um, Imam, actually, um, is a word in from Arabic language, obviously, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, mentions the word Imam in Quran many times. Um, as he uses this word for the Ibrahim salam, Prophet Ibrahim, when he says, uh, uh, which means that God, Allah, um, tested uh, Prophet Ibrahim with uh, many, many trials and tests, kalimat. So he fulfilled those tests, and when he passed the test, then Allah told to Imam for people. So Imam, in that sense, is a leader. He uh, uh, has a role of uh, leadership, spiritual, and many uh, And in Arabic, we find the root word coming from Amma Ya Ummu, Imamatan wa Imaman, which means somebody who leads. Uh, the community now, literally and um, um, physically, as the word suggests, 
Imam is actually leading the congregation of people within a particular mosque um, for five daily prayers uh, minimum. And then you, you've got many other congregations like Jumai and, and uh, Eid and stuff. So Imam, in that sense, is somebody. Hadith also mentions, by the way, the word Imam, when the Prophet, peace be upon him, says, Imam is being appointed to be followed. So, for example, if you were to go before the Imam to prostration or to bow down uh, position, which is Ruku, then your Salah, your, your, your prayer is not valid. So you'll have to follow physically the Imam. And then obviously people also do follow the instructions of Imam in their uh, daily lives and so on. So Imam, in this broader sense, has many roles, um, but that's the origin of the word Imam in Arabic language. And um, we'll also bring in Molina Qasim here, just to touch up on anything else that you think. Um, so is there anything that, in your view, well, you know, what is an Imam? Assalamu alaikum, first of all, to all the listeners, and again, Zakullah to Brother Abad for having me on the show. Uh, when it comes to the Imam, like Mona um, Skimshah was saying, is that the Imam, again, is a person who is the, seen as the leader of the community, of, especially the Masjid. But along with being a leader, especially nowadays, he's not um, as a leader, more of a teacher, a person who teaches the community, teaches his congregation, and uh, a person who guides the community and uh, the congregation. Okay, Jazakallah khair. And uh, Hafsaf, in, in your uh, understanding as well, an Imam in your experience, because you, you're slightly different in the sense that uh, me and you work together, uh, so we have like uh, a normal day-to-day job, but at the same time, uh, mashallah, you take on extra responsibility to lead uh, the congregation in Salah and Jummah prayer. And so what what is an Imam to you? First of all, I thank Brother Bad and the community of there because we're hearing me. And I'm both of the Imams. They are under that claim very nicely. Uh, furthermore, I'll just add one or two points. If we were talking about Scotland, I think. Scotland. Imams in Scotland. Scotland and the UK. And we don't, the UK. We're not, we're not supporting the, any uh, independence uh, or uh, yeah. against independence. According to the uh, need of the time, the Imam should be somebody who is not sectarian, who should be taking everybody along. He may have difference of opinion, which can be respected. But at the same time, the community where he is working should make sure the difference, difference of, of opinion is uh, still there, and uh, not 100% everybody is going to you know, accept his view. He should respect that and then get his teaching. He should uh, give a speech in a way where he's taking everybody together. And that will give more respect to the Imam. Okay. So so in your understanding, an Imam is also has to be tolerant and somebody that brings the community together um, as opposed to dividing them. Okay, that's something we'll get on to later on, inshallah. Um, so my next question, inshallah, um, is to... Maulana um, Mustaqim uh, first, inshallah. Um, at the time of the Prophet and the companions, the Sahaba, anhum, 
Um, what did an imam do? I'm guessing our our first imam is the Prophet uh, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and uh, and then after that we have companions and and we may have imams even present at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Uh, what would you say about that, um, Imam Sab? Yeah, I mean, um, like I mentioned earlier, the role of imam is crucial, and. Um, when we look at the historic um, position of the Imam, um, then perhaps we're we're going to talk up, touch upon this. I'm sure um, aspect uh, a bit later in our discussion as well, um, which is that it makes it quite um, you know um, complicating as well at um, f- from that angle. If you if you know um, what I mean, which is that. In the time of the Prophet ﷺ, he was the first Imam. So he was a Prophet. He was at the same time ordained, so to speak, and commanded and appointed rather by and selected by Allah, who says in Quran time and again that I've chosen him. Okay? For example, or many other verses. This is just on the top of my head, one coming to uh, my, my mind. So... When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala appointed him as a, uh, a person who is um, um, in a leading position of the community, then it clearly means that whatever he says, he says it's from uh, God. And whatever he says is a law. So nobody can deny nothing. And in fact, if people, as they did, denied anything, then they would go out of the fold of Islam and they would become non-Muslims. So this point I just made uh, in here is that when you look at the historic position of Imam, then that's something very heavy, something very profound. And, um, and this, uh, you know, um, hierarchy, if, if you name it, is something that um, filters down and comes down. And when it comes to other issues um, dealing with Imam and his, this role and position, then it becomes quite uh, difficult to, to tackle this issue because on one side you have somebody, the first imam historically, who was a, having divine position, but then later on many people had you know, um, uh, the same position or hold the same position even today or throughout the 1400 years who were not uh, infallible, who were not like, who were like uh, human beings and many of them committed like grievous uh, you know, mistakes and so on and so forth. So that's aside, we come to the question itself, which is that in the time of the Prophet وسلم, the Imam's role. So, like I say, Prophet himself, uh, peace be upon him, was not only uh, somebody who would lead the prayer, but also somebody who would settle um, the disputes between people. Um, he also had the role of um, a letter in Medina specifically, the role of um, a legislative. Uh, you know, he, he he held a legislative power. power he had uh, executive power and he also had judicial authority. So all these three powers, which were later on in the time of Umar, uh, separated, he held them together. So his position was really, really dominant as a prophet and, and so on. But then we have, at the same time, other mosques uh, built, for example, Masjid Qiblatayn, that uh, when people go to Medina, they can see that this uh, masjid was um, um, historically built at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, even before the Prophet's own mosque, he built a mosque in Quba, and in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there were 13 or 15 mosques in Medina that people would, uh, uh, you know, read regular prayers, and they had their imams. So the imam uh, uh, role 
wasn't um, that um, you know um, difficult because the uh, actual authority was vested in the Prophet peace be upon him himself. So any big thing uh, that would arrive, people would consult the Prophet himself. People would come to him and and uh, and um, you know ask him about the things. But then obviously we also have. Um, Sahaba, when they were sent, like Mu'az ibn Jabal and uh, others, they were sent to Yemen, another country, uh, where the Prophet ﷺ was not there. And they had to, you know, um, deliver their services there, lead the community, and um, uh, based on Quranic injunctions and hadith and their own ijtihad, as the hadith mentioned. So the role of Imam was substantially and uh, in principle. Uh, pretty much the same, i.e. leading uh, the community in five daily prayers and guiding them, um, providing for the community spiritual care and so on. However, uh, the time we're living in today um, is totally different and it was more simple. Today it's more complicated. I think that's what I um, wanted to say. Yeah. Jazakallah khair, jazakallah khair. Because later on, inshallah, we will be touching on uh, uh, the role of the Imam uh, in today's uh, day and age. Um, but if I just cross over to uh, Mona Qasim and just to give him a chance to add anything uh, that he thinks might be um, called good at this moment in time. Is there anything you'd like to add or, or have a sad, anything else that you would think from the... So we're talking about historically the time of the Prophet when we look at the life of the Prophet obviously he was part of the community where he was living. Comprehensive uh, role he played, and with, within which the leading the prayers and Juma was part of it. So uh, in a way, people knew him quite well, and he knew him quite well. That's what Mola Nayyar said. Okay, Jazakallah Jazakallah um, Okay, so so we've just mentioned then. Um, sort of the time of the Prophet and as Mona uh, Mustaqeen Saab mentioned that um, obviously after the Prophet uh, he passes on then uh, there are a difference you know, of opinion on regarding Imams who, who should have taken over and, um, and like Mona Saab had said the, the duties of, a, of, of what the, the Prophet had were sort of divided and, and you see this continue throughout history until we arrive at where we are um, at the moment. So, uh, my next question is that, and this is for, uh, I'll bring in Mona Qasim first for this. Um, in today's day and age, to become an Imam, what are the qualifications, the skills, the qualities that, that, that need to be within a person for them to be um, an Imam, or, or maybe to, to be a good Imam? Uh, well, in today's time, first of all, the people who are uh, selected and qualified to be an imam are those who have basically, uh, who are scholars. And then the question is, how do you become a scholar? So, the, normally speaking, there are many ways to do this. But generally speaking, one is that a person who goes to the, the, the Islamic college, the Darum, and there you will uh, complete the six years, that's like probably the minimum, the uh, six years Darulun course, uh, which is known as the Darsi Nizami course. So there are many Darulun like this up and down the UK. 
some people may decide to study abroad, uh, and Egypt, Misr, Al-Azhar, Medina University, and so on, and India, Pakistan, where there are like the famous, well-known uh, Darun Islam colleges, universities. So once you've completed the six-year Darun course in which you learn, uh, basically, from you learn Arabic, Arabic grammar, uh, then you learn like the the fiqh, how rulings, uh, what are the rulings, how the rulings are derived, which are known as the principles of fiqh, and then hadith, tafsir, and the classes there, like I said, it's not just like um, a couple of hours, it's like a full day from like uh, nine in the morning till four in the evening, and then you spend like the rest of the day studying, so it's quite intense study, and a lot of hard work, and then you have exams, and the people who are teaching you are people who have been teaching for many years. So even though uh, when it comes to a normal person who picks up a book and he reads that book about Islam, he's not, even if he spent his whole life, he will not be able to reach the same level of knowledge and understanding that a scholar has because a scholar has been taught by teachers. And while they're in the room, they are going to be, some of them, not all of them, are most likely going to be imams. So they're uh, teachers will focus on that and will uh, train them and will explain to them how to deal with the community and how to, to carry the work of deen and how to be good imams. And then once they graduate, not every single scholar goes into imam as your choice if you want to, uh, but you have to look at the, are you suitable, is that for you? But once a person does uh, become a imam, like how does the people choose them? Uh, generally speaking, every masjid has a management, and once they build their masjid, the management builds the masjid, then they look for somebody to employ as the imam, so they probably put out... Uh, but yeah. we'll get to that yeah. part on the, the, the employment yeah. and things later on, yeah. but it was just sort of, so you mentioned like the qualifications, so one could be, for example, like you mentioned, there's the Darcy Nizami, or um, there is some yeah. sort of Islamic qualification. There are also other ones that you know people may go to universities yeah. and, and complete courses. Yeah. And I know that there's there maybe a difference of opinion among mm-hmm. scholars on whether that person yeah. is a scholar or. But, but but we're not going to get into those at the moment. Yeah. Um, but the the other thing is okay. So that's so they need a certain amount of Islamic Islamic yeah, knowledge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but apart from that, what qualities and skills does an imam require apart from the qualification? Apart from when you actually become an imam, the first quality you need is to have patience. You need to have a lot of patience inside you because when you're dealing with, especially nowadays because you're dealing with so many people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, uh, older people, younger people, and everybody's got their their issues, their problems, their challenges, and their opinion as well. So you have to be very, very patient with people trying to listen uh, to, especially when people uh, want to criticize a lot and to at the same time you have to have a lot of um like a very big heart that you are welcoming to all types of people uh, at the same time you have to be able to speak very well uh, because as an imam one of the main uh, duties as along with the players as to uh, speak that you'll have to deliver uh, talks the weekly jumma talk and then talks weekly and teach. Uh, so that's one you have to be able to speak very well, be able to explain things very well, explain things in a way that people want to listen and you make them understand. And along with that, you need to be a very good teacher, a very patient teacher, a teacher, a person who really wants to, very motivated individual, because in the masjid, you will be kind of like on your own. And the people who come, they come on a voluntary basis. 
So you have to get that who's very, very motivated, that's your complaint put together and push them forward and get them inspired to uh, to follow their deeds. And as a teacher, you have to, because you'll be teaching young children, even adults, again, you have to be like a very, a very warm person, very welcoming person that children, especially today, that they enjoy coming to the mosque. They don't see as a strict person. They don't run away. So when you come and like, they see you as a very jolly person, very happy person. And at the same time, that's how you have to move your congregation, that when your congregation, the community comes to the mosque, you are a person who is um, very uh, jolly, happy, welcoming, big smile on your face. So when people see you, they become happy, not that they see you, and you're always looking very strict and depressed yourself, that they become depressed. So these are like the qualities of like being patient, being very good at speaking, uh, being on time, you have to be very punctual uh, because you have to lead the prayers. So you can't be late. even one second late. You can't. You have to be there on time. Uh, so at the same time, like uh, be very jolly and be very open, very welcoming, and at the same time have a lot. Uh, be very understanding, very understanding, because you're going to come across people who will come with their problems, and you'll probably come across problems that you've never heard of before. You probably come across uh, people who are have ideas or ways of thinking, or they've fallen into a certain sense that you've never heard of before. And uh, people may tell you some of their really private life. So you have to be a person who's you have to be very trustworthy because you can't uh, expose or tell other people what people have come to you and told you in confidence. You have to be very trustworthy, uh, and uh, at the same time, you have to be a person like, that has a lot of. Um, uh, like you can bear, not very emotional, but professional. That you, when people come to you with that type of uh, personal stories and personal issues that they have, you're able to listen to that and not judge that person and think of them as a bad person, but think of them as a person who's in need and somebody that you need to help. So that's just a couple of the qualities, but also you need much more than that. That's, that's quite a long list of qualities. <laughs> of qualities. You'd be lucky to find that in a, co a whole congregation, you know, individually, never mind in one person. Yeah. But, um, if you'd like to add anything on there that, you know, becoming an imam, what qualifications, what skills, what qualities uh, do you do you think that uh, an imam requires? It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a sort of, you know, um, tug war between the um, you know, people who are getting employed, like imams, and the people who are employing them. And specifically, people who are employing imams are not the community. They are just a few bunch of people. And if the imam is lucky to get good people, <laughs> then he's, uh, he's, he's, he's lucky enough. But otherwise, he's going to be stuck um, in a big dilemma because expectations can really, really go on and on and on and very high. And the salary is nothing. So the problem starts here that, um, you know, but that's a different issue perhaps you would like to discuss later. But the qualification, I think, is we look at the, um, um, uh, you know, Quran and Sunnah, our, our uh, tradition, we find that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran um, that he has never sent a messenger to any nation except in their language. And obviously, language here, lisani common. So, lisan and language uh, uh, scholars and mufassirin say 
do not only represent the language itself, but it, it, it represents the um, not only the literature or the language in a literate sense, but also the culture and the um, um, uh, you know uh, environment and the people of that place. So Imam, I think one of the main qualities, apart from having obviously the knowledge of uh, Deen, uh, he has to be able to um, you know, give basic answers to the um, religious questions of the community. We talked about some of them as well, and uh, his uh, brother Qasim, mashallah, he mentioned. But the main thing I see, uh, you know, which is very important from the uh, point of view that Allah mentions in Quran that he sent every messenger from amongst the, those people is that Imam uh, and the leader has to be, um, spiritual leader has to be culturally aware. So culturally aware, um, our cultural awareness of the locality of the um, um, people that he's leading is is a paramount. It's really, 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 you know, um, uh, crucial. Otherwise, um, he is not going to be able to uh, deliver the services uh, competently and and properly. Because, like another principle mentions that man lam yarif ahla zamanihi. Any scholar or imam, including imam, if he does not know the people of his time, then he is jahil. So you can be really pious person, well-versed in Quran, Hadith, everything, but if you don't know how to apply those uh, that knowledge, you know, based on the wisdom, um, and tailor it to the needs of the society around you, the community around you, um, then you are basically jahil. You are uh, you 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 are, you are of no use basically. So I think um, this is very important that Imam, and that's why um, I can see the point where people say uh, we should have homegrown Imams um, because uh, it, it's really important. So cultural awareness of the community of, for example, British here in our, our context or Scotland or England uh, is, I think, one of the main uh, points that I just. Uh, um, you know, wanted to to, to raise. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair. Myself saying there that you need an imam who is very aware. But the same, uh, that that's a very good point that we do need imams who are the the imam that who have to be a person who uh, is brought up in that area. That he knows the local people. He basically went to school with these people. He went to college and worked with these people. These are the people that he knows, their family, friends. So he knows the community well, and then he can basically uh, understand their needs, and then he can talk at a level that you know the people understand. So I think in today's time, one of the skills that Imam needs is that he needs to be able to speak uh, English really well. Uh, he should, and at the same time. That he, he, I think one other quality is that because we still have that in the masjid, one expectation is that they can speak also as well. But today, I think the main focus should be on imams who can speak fluent, proper English, and uh, that are born and bred here. Okay, Jazakallah khair. So, um, just moving on because I'm aware of the the time. Uh, sorry. Okay, if you can be brief. Uh, both of them have actually uh, given a thoughtful point. They differ with me as regards to the committee. Yeah. You know, that Imam uh, should know that the members of the committee, up to what far, you know, what extent they can extend their, uh, you know, help. 
towards demand okay. work. I think this is definitely a topic, inshallah, we're going to get onto. So we'll just wait till we get to that, inshallah. But uh, because at the moment, I just wanted to go through uh, the qualification skills, qualities. But we'll move on to that because that is a challenge later on. This is a personal question now um, to to all of you, uh, inshallah. I want to actually um, uh, start with Hafiz uh, Obed on this question. Um, because you're you're also although you don't call yourself an imam, but you lead the prayer, so you're an imam, <laughs> and you lead the juma, so you're an imam. But how did you get into that uh, that that job? You know, how did you uh, how did you end up taking on the role of leading prayers or, or leading right. juma? Right, uh, the mosque which uh, with which I am affiliated for since I came into this country. And that is the very mosque where I memorized the Quran. And since after that, um, obviously my father was imam there. And uh, during him being there, I used to read at times. And then that has been the practice from that time up till now. And uh, that's how it's going on. Uh, okay. Accept. Yeah, I mean, I mean. And uh, then, inshallah, if I can uh, ask the same a question from uh, Maulana Mustaqim, sir. How did you uh, become an Imam? How did you get into this field? Well, um, my main um, basic um, study was Dars um, Nizami, which is the basic study to become an Alim. Uh, they call it Alamiya, uh, which I um, have done in Karachi, Pakistan. Um, from Dalum, Karachi, I graduated in um from Mustafa Sahab and others, uh And then I came as a student to the UK. Um I studied law. So before that I've done another law degree as well in International Islamic University, Islamabad. So anyway I um and I was a, um, approached um as I had sent in my C V I think if I remember correctly that's back in two thousand three. Um and they asked me if I was to you know, I, I, I wanted to, you know, serve the community up in Glasgow um, because they found me fit for purpose. I was doing my chaplaincy back then and uh, some other uh, courses as well. So I accepted that, and uh, it was um, 10th of uh, July, I think, 2004, when I came up the first time into Glasgow to be imam in the community. Okay. Alhamdulillah. So I think that's pretty much it, yeah. Okay. Jazakallah and Mana uh, Kasim, how did you uh, become an Imam? The question is, do you regret being an Imam? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you don't regret being an Imam. Come on. So how did you how did you become an Imam? Well, um, first of all, uh, I think when um, see one of the things that inspired me was uh, the talks of Mana Kasim Sabtulalei, who passed away. Uh, he would uh, has too much talks, especially his Tafsir talks. Uh, when I would listen to that, they were very uh, inspiring. And when I would sit and see the amount of knowledge and the amount of guidance he would give, that kind of inspired me. I wanted to know more of this. So when I joined the army class in Central Mosque and I completed the full course, and after that, I, that's what inspired me to become a scholar. Uh, and then after that, when um, uh, at the same time, I think Sheikh uh, Habib, Sheikh Abdul Afford, they were like the young. English speaking moms that would come 
and they really helped us and guiding us and helping us about Islam. So I thought this is a big need in the community that we need uh, young English-speaking scholars and, and we need the community to know about Islam. So once uh, I graduated from the Darloom, uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but Alhamdulillah, my teachers here, the scholars, imams here, they were um, telling me that uh, there was a lot of masjids looking for imams and they encouraged me to take up that position because here in Glasgow, Scotland, we do have a, a shortage of scholars and scholars that we do have don't, uh, aren't keen on going to Imam, which is a topic on its own. But then I was encouraged and uh, now I'm being Imam in one of the mosques for the last five years now. So that's how I got in there. I was just told that this is a place and you should go for it. And, uh, it's a very important responsibility and it's a good opportunity to carry the work of the Okay, I'm just after Lachet. Okay, one point, I don't, don't know whether you can edit it or not, since I heard more or Since I know more or less the King's Psalms and the time he was with us, uh, in my understanding, that was the best of the time. I know an admiration in front of somebody's face, maybe it is not good, but this is what he, I he, He's on the phone, don't worry. He's on the phone, you can't see him. He can hear me anyway. In this time, uh, you know, the typical Mama as it is. Was not like that. We are that word more than for all the extra work he did during this time, and uh, that was also on the lines continuing here and there in Glasgow. Yeah, but mashallah, I've got to say that you know. Um, people like Morana um, Mustaqim Saab and your people like yourselves, everyone here, uh, and many others that are outside that are not being mentioned are doing great work. And I know this is a touchy subject, it's a difficult one because uh, let's just say that we have had all sorts of experiences, good, bad, and, and everything. But Alhamdulillah, uh, I'm not saying everything's perfect, far from it, but Alhamdulillah, we have seen some changes starting to take place uh, in the UK. We have more. Uh, UK-born uh, scholars um, that are being produced and ones that have uh, gone abroad as well come back and, and they've gone and created institutes which are benefiting people and we see that even the, the level of education compared to, you know, even when I was, you know, um, learning my uh, Quran when I was really young to now, it's changed, it's improving a lot. So may Allah reward everyone, you know, past, present and inshallah, Allah guide us inshallah to better in the uh, in the future. So, I wanted to go on to ask uh, yourselves as uh, Imams that, you know, what is involved in your daily routine? So, half a sub, for example, me and you, we work together. Okay, so from uh, from nine to half past four, uh, we are busy doing other things, yeah? But after that, um, what is your routine regarding um, the masjid and leading and teaching? Right. Uh, the first job finishes at half past four, then I run towards uh, my class, and uh, I arrive near the mosque by ten to five. Before I enter the class, for ten minutes, I go to uh, have a meena in the car, <laughs> <laughs> and then enter the class. Alhamdulillah, this has been uh, going on for years and years now. Mm. The sleeping habit is just within uh, so. Uh, I go to sleep for 10 minutes and that takes me further another three and uh, hours. So, so, so your imam it starts with a sleep? <laughs> <laughs> and then you go in and you start teaching? Yeah, so after the one hour at 7 o'clock I go to teach on Skype as well. Okay. So practically I finish about half past eight. Okay. 
that goes on for constantly five, four days. Okay. And the fifth day, Friday, that then after the class, that's the Quran, goes on even more. Okay, so you teach the Quran to uh, to a group of people, and uh, what about the the? So you teach the Quran to children within the class. We have an arrangement with the children for Islamic studies. Okay. That's where we do uh, at times uh, translation of the Quran, and in other times uh, regarding akhlaq of the children and them learning the prayer and other things practically. Okay, right. And uh, shall I move on to Mauna Mustaqim first? Um, what is your daily routine as an imam, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, no, I don't, because it's a public um, uh, activity anyway. Um, uh, well, I um, sort of now am more teacher than uh, leading the five uh, congregational prayers, so I'll just start teaching um, from nine onwards till three, quarter past three. I teach uh, um, to um, female um, students who are, mashallah, um, undertaking a course of five years to becoming alima and scholars. Um, So I teach the last two years uh, tafsir and hadith, um, the book of Imam Bukhari, Sahih al-Bukhari, and the book of Imam Tirmizi, and Shamal Tirmizi, and uh, tafsir of uh, Jalalain um, being a few of them. So alhamdulillah, um, I've been teaching that for the last uh, uh, more than one year now since I came back from Saudi Arabia. Cause, um, I was away for three years, nearly three years to Saudi Arabia to teach English. So um, after three um, o'clock, I just uh, finished that, bring my kids um, from their schools. And then I go back Monday, Tuesday, I teach again two hours, um, a couple of lectures each to different age groups within a maktab where I teach in the morning. So that's my um, weekly routine for Monday, Tuesday. Um, and then for the rest of the days, I go out, um, for example, I have, alhamdulillah, an allotment, which is quite sizable this year. So I'm growing my own vegetables um, I've, I've and stuff. I've been following you on Facebook, so mashallah, it was nice to see the progress. Exactly. Whenever, especially now, I have time, um, so I just escape there, and uh, it's lovely, it's lovely, alhamdulillah. And uh, so um, then Friday, um, I have um, uh, my Friday khutbah, um, delivered sermon in uh, a masjid, um, uh, 20 minutes drive from my, from my home. So I go there, and I, I prepare my khutbah, obviously, beforehand, and I go there and deliver the khutbah. Uh, and then uh, I stay there for a little while if there was anybody to ask questions or uh, anything like that. And then I come uh, back. So that's Friday. For Saturday, I have uh, Dars al-Quran in English in the same masjid. So I go there today, inshallah, sure. after Asr. So I deliver that Dars there. And Sunday, I have uh, another uh, event, Dars al-Quran, in, uh, in Pushtu language because there's a Pushtu uh, Afghani um, community in Warsaw where I live now. Okay. So I deliver to, you know, um, I answer some questions if they have any questions. And they get together on Sunday, they prepare a meal, and it's a quite good community activity, only only male uh, members of the Afghan community. So I deliver my weekly Dars um quran um, uh, or, or any other talk um, based on the occasions, you know. Um, 
in, in, on, uh, on Sunday in, in there. So this is roughly my, alhamdulillah, you know, normal routine. But then obviously, uh, we, you, in today's age, you also have, um, you know, online presence where people ask questions uh, through WhatsApp, email and stuff. So I go in between checking them as well, um, alhamdulillah. So this is just roughly uh, my, my, my routine as an imam. Jazakallah khair. And uh, Mona Qasim, lastly yourself, um, you're an imam here in uh, Glasgow. What's your uh, daily routine like? Uh, well, for me, my day generally uh, starts from uh, first of all, I have the responsibility of leading the prayers. Uh, so just say from uh, after the, uh, the say from like the Dhuhr prayer, uh, I try to be there early so I can meet with the congregation if anybody has to ask any questions. And then after the congregation, uh, then I sit with the people and try to make sure that if anybody has any issues, problems, then I'm there uh, available. And then um, after that, I prepare for my talks and my lessons that I have to teach in after the afternoon. So, say from half to half four, two hours, basically we'll go into um, uh, researching and preparation for my weekly talks and my uh, daily classes. And then uh, five to um, from around four forty-five to seven o'clock, I'll be teaching in the masjid. I'll be uh, teaching uh, children. Then after I finish from there, then I'll go and teach um, Islamic studies, the uh, Alam class. So I'm teaching the translation of the Quran, uh, the Usul Fiqh, Burkhu uh, Usul Shashi, and um, uh, so that's Arabic um, grammar and so on. So I teach from seven to nine. So from five to nine every day, I'll be teaching Monday to Friday, and uh, the same before that, I'll go on to preparing for the, the talks and my lessons, and then. Isha is like right now it's quite late, Mother of Isha at ten o'clock, so that's my duty. Um half the week, uh, but Wednesdays or Friday, Saturdays I have duties for players as well. So then I have to go back to the masjid at Nabiria. So on um Thursdays uh, I have a gathering after Isha after Mother right now, uh, where we have a gathering of speaker and then on Fridays uh, I have a weekly uh, talk on uh, the the rulings after the Isha prayer, and then uh, on Saturday as well, then I have a talk. Um, currently, we're doing the topic of signs of the Day of Judgment. Once we finish that, we'll go on to another topic. And similarly, on Saturdays, I have a weekly class, uh, an Arabic class, where I'm teaching the translation of the Quran, like the basics of Arabic and Arabic grammar, to go on to the translation of the Quran. And along with that, um, that's just a normal daily routine, but as an imam did, sometimes you get a bit busy if uh, people have come and to ask questions, and, or some people have like, marriage issues, other problems, you need to deal with that as well. And uh, sometimes like, somebody can come in and say to you that um, I want to talk to you for five minutes, but that five minutes turns into one hour. Uh, at the same time, if you're organizing a conference, organizing programs, organizing events, that takes a lot of time along with your daily duty, so you're basically chock-a-block food, uh, you know, throughout the day, throughout the week, as I am. Okay, just a look at that. Because that's, like, what you're saying is a good question, because I think uh, nowadays a lot of people, I think, they think that the imam, the only duty he has is to lead the prayer, and before the prayer, and after the prayer, he's completely free, and he's got all the time in the world, but yeah. as the imam, you're... As you already know. Well, I actually wanted to reach you something. This will go on to the next question, inshallah, um, if I can bring it up. This was um, done by Imams Online. 
and uh, they made a poster up uh, recently about um, what are the roles and responsibilities of a 21st century imam. So get ready for this list, it's quite a long list. Civic responsibilities, respond to crises, public engagements, attending memorial services, attending to media, attending community events, visiting local schools and colleges, religious responsibilities, preparing and delivering Friday sermons, leading five, leading five daily prayers, teaching madrasa, which is like the kids' uh, you know, uh, school, uh, educa Islamic education, conducting funeral prayer and ghusl for the deceased. Uh, these are not obviously in one masjid, but these are spread out, different roles that imams will take on. Leading Ramadan and Eid prayers, which is the night tarawi prayer. Uh, Hafiz Saab is getting ready for that this year, inshallah. And also, uh, and on the Mullah as well, and also organizing Quran uh, and Hadith uh, study circles. And then civil responsibilities, conducting nikahs, interfaith engagements, welcoming mosque visitors, engaging with women and youth, conducting shahada ceremonies where someone becomes a Muslim, being available for men and women to answer questions, pastoral responsibilities, bereavement support, premarital advice, mediation in disputes, post-marriage counselling, visiting the sick and visiting prisons. I was also going to add removing gins, but we don't want to go there. <laughs> we don't want to go on to that uh, topic. So, as you can see, there's a, there is a huge list of uh, expectations, you know, as uh, Mawlana Mustaqim was saying earlier on, you know, that sometimes the expectations from uh, an imam, you know, they're not really uh, practical. The, the duties that can be this time just happens. You just happen. <laughs> the, like the duties that uh, responsibilities you mentioned, like these are like you said that this is what the community expects, and some communities and some they expect even more. But even for like one imam, and even if you have in a masjid two imams or three, for them to you know do all the same responsibilities, it's just it's very difficult. Yeah. Okay, Jazakallah Khair. And Mona Mustafim Saab, would you like to add anything there to that list or, or make a comment regarding it? Well, I think I mentioned earlier, like you said rightly, that you know expectations are very high um, uh, by the community, but um, um, I, uh, I can see that uh, frustration build up when expectations are not met because of uh, the fact that they're not realistic. So um, we need to, um, I would like to address the other side, you know, um, from the Imam's point of view, that um, Imams should know um, to say no. Because what happens is, uh, end of the day, Imam's personal family uh, life is sacrificed, okay? Um, and the pay is not great. And Alhamdulillah, he's been serving the community, but uh, he ends up quite badly at the um, cost of his own family, which is his direct responsibility. Uh, so you can see the children of the shuyukh, not obviously all um, are the same, but in many cases, they are being they're neglected because imams are under pressure and uh, he does not have uh, time for his own family, for his own health and his own personal uh, well-being. Um, so that's why empowering the imam has been a very sort of, you know, um, uh, crucial issue um, within the, um, uh, especially UK uh, environment. Like you have seen 
MCB speaking for empowering the imams and communities and so on. And you saw, you've seen also Minab, uh, which was mosque and imam national board, uh, which was self-governed uh, um, uh, and self-sort of, you know, um, maintained organization, which unfortunately could not work due to different reasons. Because anyway, so these are the things that, um, you know, I, I really feel for my, uh, you know, the, the brothers who are imams, um, when they, when they uh, fail to, and they will eventually fail to, um, you know, um, basically fulfill those requirements or uh, be um, able to um, materialize those expectations because they are not uh, realistic. In many cases, I'm not obviously punishing every community the same brush, but um, that, that's the thing. And things are, uh, again, final point to make is, like you said uh, about um, uh, Brother Abad, like rightly, that um, things, alhamdulillah, looking up and uh, things have changed a lot from the past. People have realized that imams are also human beings. They also have, you know, their personal lives, their family lives. They also need, uh, you know, um, paid holidays. They also need um, pension or, or provisions within the salary and, and so on and so forth. And plus, the community is losing out. That's the big problem. Because, like they say, if you, you know, from both sides, if you pay nuts, you get monkeys. So you, you get unqualified imams. Secondly, the qualified imams are not coming to the masajid. The British-born imams are not coming to the masajid. Only those who are very sincere, mashallah, like Brother Qasim and others, they would want to serve the community. Otherwise, pay-wise and, and, and things that they offer um, are extremely, extremely, you know, um, incom- not sufficient, extremely insufficient. So the thing is, uh, we, we, we're losing, we're not getting the best imams. We do have them, but we're not getting them because we're not offering them. Uh, the the competent pay. I think that's what I wanted to mention as well. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair, Mona Saab. I think Mona Qasim, I can see him jumping up and down. He wants to, he wants to get in and say something. So, yeah. so I'm just uh, adding from what Muslim uh, Shah saying that the, when it comes to uh, the family time, uh, like this program is to raise awareness and make people understand uh, like the responsibility of the Imam and how much work goes into being an Imam so that we as a community can come together and realize that this is an issue and a challenge we face and how we can move forward and overcoming these issues and at the same time we can guide uh, Imams, people who are Imams and new up and coming Imams and how to deal with these issues and like you said you made a very good point there that at time that Imams need to learn how to say no at times as well because not just that your family suffer, your health suffers as well. There are a lot of imams, like you could probably guarantee, like every imam will have some sort of health problem because of how busy he is, that he's so busy and uh, like, you know, because you have the responsibility of leading the prayers, uh, you're not, some people, they won't drink water because you drink water, you need to go toilet, then wuzu, and you don't have that much time, so you're not t- you're not eating properly, you're not eating at the right times, you're not uh, eating healthy food, you're not taking care of your health, you're just running around, and then you don't have any family time as well. So it's not if your health suffers, your family suffers, your mental uh, state suffers. And if you have an imam who for 10 years he's like this, he starts off young, passionate, with a lot of zeal, and you know he's only 25, and then by the age of 35 he he'll just be completely burnt out. He'll have nothing left in him. And uh, this is one thing that I'd like to add here is that I actually had this type of um, 
uh, experience myself with and one person came to me in the mosque. It was after Fajr on a Saturday. I certainly remember I really, uh, and he said to me that um, he, he had like certain expectations of the Imam. He said, you should do X, Y, Z. And he said to me that you uh, you just need the prayers and all of your the rest of your day is free and you have all the time in the world to do this and that. And I was really shocked. And this person, he was a, 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 a person who played a role and another masjid, uh, like a manager, uh, management role in another masjid. And I was shocked to hear him saying this. This is what he thought the Imam did all day was only lead the prayer. So I could just imagine how he would be uh, treating his own Imam of his own mosque. And he said to me that, you know, you put all the same in the world. And I said to him, today's Saturday, and I've not seen my children since Wednesday. That's how busy I am. Because when I come for Zohar, by the time I go home for Isha, my children are sleeping. They're just coming home from Nassau. I've not even spent anything with my children since when it's been like three days I've not seen my children properly. So this is the thing that people need to realize that how busy and how much pressure is on the mom that not just their family, even their health goes you know, but before I think uh, I think it was the president Barack Obama when he started his uh, presidency, his hair was really black, and by the end of four years, eight years, his hair turned white. I think it was the Ibabs, and after four years, the Ibabs, his hair turned white and falls out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, I know, I know, we're having a a, a joke now, but it is it's a very you know sad state of. Uh, Affairs. Because just a second, because we're moving on, yeah. I want to finish but, this all within time. It's, yeah. We're not leaving the topic. We're just yeah. going to actually go into a little bit more. So whatever points you have, and try include them in the answer to the next question. <laughs> so the next question I've got, um, and this would be, I'm not asking about your own personal situations, uh, but in general, but I'll start the conversation. It's about what are the pay and conditions of an imam in the UK. Now, from my experience, just through talking to people, right, um, it varies. You know, and there are some very few masjids they are doing very well. The imams have a good pay conditions. Everything's set out clear. Unfortunately, more times I hear that that's not the case. You know, and you have masjids phoning you up constantly asking. You know, um, we're looking for an imam, we're struggling, her imam left, or this happened, that happened. And then you speak to imams, you know, and they give their explanation of um, how, you know, difficult things are. You know, unbelievable amounts. Like, I, I um, my father, he was, um, he had a takeaway. So I know how much, you know, and takeaway, people that work in takeaways, they don't, unless you're maybe a chef or a manager, you don't necessarily make a lot of money. And, and I've got to say that, unfortunately, I've come up, I've met imams who are paid less, and I mean no disrespect to this category of worker, but more, they are paid less than a person who makes pakoras six days a week, a pakora shift. And, and I think to myself that, is that not an oppression? And, and, and then people will say, but, but, but the imam, he should be doing it for Allah. Uh, and then I say that, look, his his reliance upon Allah, his connection with Allah, has nothing to do with us. That's between him and Allah. We pay him what he does for what he does. He can take all the money and give it in charity if he wants. That's his job. But not to pay, you know, the right amount of <coughs> money and for the expectations that we want. You know, I, I find it is shocking. And as has been touched on, I feel it's it's pressure. 
and especially upon, okay, the imam, he decided to take this job on. It's oppression on him, but okay, we'll say, well, he willfully, he decided to do this. What about his wife? What about his kids? What about, you know, other dependents? He might have, just like we all have, you know, relatives abroad who need some help, or even the ones that are here, you know, we have a hard time. Some people are struggling. And how can the imam, you know, help those people out and fulfill his responsibility? And I think it's a shame. Um, but I would like to open it up to yourselves. And I don't want to make it a negative thing, but we want to highlight what the issues are. And then before the program finishes, we want to try and see how can we solve these problems. So um, is there anyone who would voluntarily like to start? <laughs> half a second? Okay, half a second. Practically uh, speaking, uh, I think there's no mutual understanding between the committee and the Imam. They think that uh, he's from another world and we are from another world. He has got some different needs and we have some different needs. So this needs to be looked at and that's why all of these uh, problems afterwards come in. Um, I myself, ever since I completed the memorization of the Quran, uh, after that, uh, I started to see this in the first one or two years. And then I thought to do this, you know, independently. Uh, because when I saw the institution of the cities, they were like that, up and down, uh, everywhere, clear about. The expectations are so much, as more than I just explained. But on the other side, they would like to, you know, to just, you know, once the pay is set, that is set for 10 years. One of our uh, hafas here passed away. He once uh, came down to lead the prayer and uh, there were some people talking about it. And uh, he happened to hear it. And they were saying, look, hafas are you saying to put up his wages? Why? <laughs> as, as if he was not given. So that was after six, seven years people were talking, were talking like that. Yeah. Uh, in my experience, there were some students who completed their studies uh, from Madaris in Glasgow. They asked me uh, any advice. I said, looking at the moment, I would advise you if you can independently, you know, make your own institution. Okay, so many institutions. They are quite as well uh, looking at the community around. If you can do that, that will be the best thing. You will have everything in your hand. Otherwise, uh, you will go and work somewhere, you, you are full-fledged, you want to do so much, but when you go in there, the leg pulling starts, and then you will think of, oh, I had this, you know, I didn't think, no, it's not possible, because people are just yeah. having expectations out of you, and uh, you got to the I've got a, a statistic here that I was looking up earlier on, and this is from the annual a survey of uh, hours and earnings for uh, 2015. This was the average UK salary that you know for working full time. The average at that time was 27,600 pounds per year income. And for a graduate in 2016, the average starting off, so you've just graduated uh, from university. Uh, this was 19,000 to 22,000. This was in 2006. So I would like to ask, and again, we're not wanting to get very negative, but just to be factual, and so we can then move on to the next part, which is that how can we address these problems? Mm -hmm. um, Mona Mustakim, would you say that, in your view, that 
that even the, the imams are making a, an average salary of £27,600 per year. Yeah, I mean, again, um, um, uh, I, I don't want to be um, sounding sort of, you know, biased um, because I've been imam and still I am. So, but obviously speaking um, from just a middle ground, like you just mentioned, statistics yeah, no. and the facts are very clear um, that the average salary being above 27,000, 28,000, um, um, and the imams are paid 1000 to 1400 uh, pounds a month and um, this is those who are um, imams who are trained and you know born in this country i mean those who came from pakistan and would um, not have those um, qualifications that people would expect them too much then they are the ones who are getting only 700 pounds or 1000 pounds per month and sometimes there is no security tied to the sort of you know employment and and paying Basically, pay scales are not used and, and, and training opportunities are not provided at all. So for those that do not provide housing, then the majority of you know, imam salary can obviously go to meeting their, their, their housing needs. Yeah. And some imams are paid according to the, the rate you know, per salah led. So, so these are the things that you know, so, um, you know, are so ironic and, and, and so you know, foolish. <laughs> The, the, uh, you know, this this is the, the the pay scale of a Muslim community provided to imam. Not all of them, obviously, yeah. But the majority and many of them in the 21st century Britain, where things are so you know um, expensive, and and many of them would proudly put the imams on benefits, you know, uh, as if they are giving them uh, or doing them a favor. That oh, you're getting your benefits, working tax credit, child tax credit, whatever, and as if they are paying them that money. So they count that money with the salary, which is, again, really, really shameful. I mean, the British mosques are currently undergoing, alhamdulillah, I know, a steady process of sort of professionalization and, and uh, you know, all that. But obviously, you know, like one of my, my friends put it this way, from up from, I met him the other day in London when I was in a conference, and he mentioned to me their own imam, alhamdulillah, they have a small community, but they're professionals. So again, if you have some of the professional brothers, they understand the needs of the imam, the qualifications the imams have, the needs, the, the, the things that, you know, so he, he, he put it very nicely and he said that I asked the brother that uh, you are a chef, okay, you have a restaurant, so how much you pay to your chef weekly? And he said 500. So, I, so, so he said that I said to him that why not an imam should at least be paid 500 a week? Um, just as you pay your chef, would you like your own son, who is qualified, just as Imam is qualified in his own ways, obviously, to be paid that much amount? So they, and, and those people would not like themselves or their children to be paid the same amount of money that they pay the Imam. So um, again, like I say, it depends what roles Imam have and stuff. But full-time Imam, um, his uh, day job is is just leading the prayers and. You know, it doesn't matter that the prayer takes five minutes or ten minutes or fifteen minutes. He's he's there all the time, um, and he's on call, sort of thing. You know, yeah. so the uh, pay to 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 end inshallah um, the pay um, scale for imams in masajid and like I said earlier, uh, is nowhere near uh, satisfactory. Um, they're underpaid. Um, they're always under 
stressed and uh, overburdened with different roles that you can see because they overlap. I mean, 500 uh, minimum congregation um, would come and say every single one of them would think that, oh, um, you know, I, I'm the, the first one or I'm the only one contacting, in, contacting Imam and taking his 5 to 10 to uh, 15 minutes, which turned out, like Brother Qasim mentioned, um, to be one hour. Um, so add that to, to the other, to the other, and then phone, tel- telephone conversations and so on and so forth. So the problem starts when there's no um, job description, when there's no timing and there's no... So again, you know, what we need is to empower the imams to say that, look, you know, and, 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 and force the, co- the communities to, you know, Alhamdulillah, there are always these um, understanding brothers within each and every community, but we need to get rid of the old mentality. We need to give, like you mentioned, mashallah, rightly, in Glasgow and different places, changes happen. We need to give way to the youth, to the new people to come out and, inshallah, change those circumstances. But uh, no, I'm afraid they're nowhere near anything uh, satisfactory. First of all, yeah, I think people need to understand that uh, I think one issue is that, again, see, like you said, this program isn't to uh, to make things look negative and bleak, it's to move forward and raise awareness and make people realise the reality of the situation. Which, which we're going to do in a couple yeah. of minutes. So, but any any other issues you'd like to add that you, the way you see for the, for the Yeah, what are the conditions at the moment? Like, speaking to... I'm guessing you speak to many imams, many other people yeah. across the country. Uh, are they, you know, have they got a, a BMW and a Mercedes for the wife, you know, and plenty of money in the bank, and they go on three holidays a, a year? No, see, uh, to be honest with you, right, the, the reality is, sadly, which uh, I think we the community need to come together, and whether the people are old or young, I think there's a lack of awareness. And uh, uh, some people have this kind of attitude where scholars shouldn't get paid at all. But the reality is that they're not, in uh, 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 some masjids, the, the imam scholars aren't getting paid properly. And the masjids that they are, mashallah, there are some masjids who do take care of the imams properly, uh, but they're very, very few. Uh, but to make it obvious, if an imam is only doing the duty of just leading the prayers, for example, which he's not, he's doing much more than that. He's, but say if his imam has only due to work to lead the prayer, the fact of the matter is that if he has the responsibility of leading the prayers in a specific masjid, he can't read his prayers anywhere else because people think, well, he leads the prayers, we can read the prayers as well, so what's the difference? The difference is you can come two minutes late, he can't come one second late, you can pray wherever you want, you can take a day off, you can pray at home, you can pray at another masjid, you can go wherever you want, you can travel, you can be at one part of the city and read uh, your prayer there and then go to another masjid and read it there. But whereas this imam, he's bound to the prayer, he can't go anywhere, he can't do anything, he can't have another job alongside the prayer because he can't read his door and then go back to work for one hour and then rush back to the masjid, that action masjid, because his work might be the other side of the city, so he can't go work and then come back an hour after an hour to his boss and he go to the prayers and turn up an hour later because somebody's grabbed him after the prayers and said, I need to ask you a question. However, to be get something, you have two things like if, if you are paying, if a masjid and imam is being paid so less that he has to work two, three jobs just to meet, to meet his needs, 
right, then there's a huge problem there. So one is that you're making enough money where you're living comfortably and you can you know, spend nicely and you can go on holidays. But the imam is being paid so less that he can't seek his basic needs. And you can't give examples of the past because people don't live on the streets. People live in a house. I mean, you live in a house, you have to pay bills, gas, electric, rent, whatever. So but but, but yeah. don't imams get a discount from the <laughs> electric company? <laughs> <laughs> or the council tax? No? <laughs> okay, no, they don't get it, that's fine. I'm just checking. <laughs> but see, that, that, that's the thing that you have to be, if the imam is living in a house and you're not paying him anything, where is he going to pay all of this off? Where is he going to get his food? And it's not just him suffering, it's his wife and children. So if an imam have you pay him so less, he has to work two, three, four jobs, uh, part-time, whatever he can get, just to make ends meet. And not that he's living in a good way, he's still struggling, then that's a serious problem. And the second is that if he's paying so less, how should much should an imam get paid is that he should get paid enough but, that he's but, not, Well, yeah. I, that was my next question, yeah. so I'll just, I'll just go on, I'll ask that question. Like, what yeah. do you think uh, <laughs> an imam's pay should be? Yeah. And possibly, <clears throat> what, what conditions should there be? Like, should there be two imams yeah. per mosque, three imams? How many hours should they be working? You know, maybe we're not going to be able to get into exact details yeah, yeah. right now because we've not got that much time. But yeah. um, at least, how many hours should any man be working, and maybe uh, how much should the person be getting paid? Let me see. First of all, because the timings of the prayers are changing throughout the year. For example, like Isha was half past seven a couple of months ago, no almost just, but now. It's all the way to 10 o'clock, and that's going to yeah. It'll be half past yeah. 11 soon, yeah. So you can't fix hours. And the second thing is you can't put a time on when someone's going to come in and ask Imam a question or come with an issue and the person's there for two, three hours and he's taking up like every single day, two, three hours, he's boarding and so on. Which is not a problem, but so you can't, what it is is that you have to understand that this Imam is here full time. Even if you have two Imams or three, you can't, what, what a lot of people think is that if an imam has the responsibility of prayers, so you have two imams and they've, uh, or three imams and they've split the prayers uh, and amongst themselves. So say like one imam has his duties like Monday and Tuesday, the other one's like Wednesday and Thursday, for example. Some people start thinking that this imam, he's only working two days, but he's not. He's actually doing other, he has other responsibilities as well. So what it is is that if you have an imam he should basically be paid that much that he doesn't need to go look for a second job. Uh, number two, he should be paid that much that he doesn't need to rely on uh, benefits. Uh, if you're basically paying your imam so low that he relies on benefits, then according to the government, he's a poor person. Yeah. So basically, you're forcing your imam to live a life of poverty. And for a poor, for a community, if you've got like, see what if you even if I have an imam who's leading Juma, he's providing a service. So if there's 500 people sitting there, and some of it's more, if you, if you want to get your car washed, which will take five minutes, you're going to pay three, four pounds. So if you're coming into read Juma, and this imam is providing that service for you, and he and each person is gave one pound, that would be enough to for the imam's wage and whatever. So if you have a community of more than 500,000, and they can't even put together 50p or one pound a week, and to see the, to the needs of the Imam, then that is a, a problem. But again, awareness to, needs to be risen, raised there. But, um, but that's when, Jazakallah, yeah. um, 
I'm just going to go on to Mona Mustaqim, start asking the same question. What do you think an imam should be paid? And we're assuming a full-time imam and uh, any conditions uh, of employment. Um, I think the first thing um, that we need to keep in mind is that the job description must be um, very clearly defined. There should be a job description to say what are the roles and responsibilities and the expectations that come along with them must be defined. So we have the titles, for example, say um, to lead five daily prayers, to do this, to do that, but then we need to also break that down um, into hours. So then we talk about that, you know, because like I said, an imam prepares um, for his uh, Juma khutbah. Preparation uh, takes, you know, more than one to two to three hours. Um, similarly, Imam comes out of the, his house for daily prayers, um, five daily prayers, and then he takes up the whole day, basically. So it's like a full-time job, and the scale must not be less than anything, uh, you know, the average salary of the British um, people, because it's a job, it's a full-time job, that's the minimum. But then, let me also say this, which is very crucial. Our community, our you know uh, uh, Muslim community particularly, our uh, you know um, so our community, they need to decide what they want to take mosque, how they want to take this community forward, because if they wanted to take community forward, the platform for the community to be taken forward is the mosque, unlike some of the Sikh brothers once mentioned or some Christian brothers, and they said that you Muslims have such a fantastic you know, platform, such a fantastic opportunity that you can lead the whole community so easily from, which is the mosque. And they said that we wish we had that and we would have done, you know, wonders with that because where do you want to take the community? Obviously, everybody wants to take the community forward. Now, let me also tell you that if you look around, those organizations, okay, that invest in HR, they invest in humans, imams, teachers, community leaders, they, you know, are more successful in running their organizations and leading and providing services to the community. As we've been talking, um, I have been making a list of uh, some of the challenges and solutions that you have mentioned and things that have come into my mind. So I just want to go through the list briefly. So, um, so challenges that uh, the, the, the Imam faces, we, we've mentioned that there is the committee there are maybe a few people with high expectations, not all committees, but this seems to be a recurring uh, problem from whoever I'm speaking to. Uh, we have a, a pay issue on how much is a demand being paid. We think it's very low. Um, it's definitely not you know, what they should be getting paid for, the skills and everything that they're bringing. Um, we need more culturally aware imams, possibly born in the UK, that can you know, intermingle with people and understand it. Uh, we need to have uh, a work-life balance for imams where their families and their health shouldn't suffer. Uh, we also need holidays for imams. I mean, imams should, I don't mean like paid holidays to somewhere. <laughs> I mean holidays where they are paid by, for not being at work like myself and others who work in other jobs we get. There should be pensions as well. We live in this country, there should be pensions. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, actually, uh, the law has changed now and there's compulsory. Um, pensions that have to be paid uh, by the employer. Um, and then we also want um, 
to have, uh, we have an issue where by looking at if things are bad and they continue to be bad, then we can expect the next generation isn't going to go into this field. And when they don't go into this field, it's going to get worse. And we've also, we've seen that when uh, there is not proper demands in place, look at the problems of radicalisation, look at the problems of ignorance and all the other things that come in, you know, when the, the people unfortunately are leaving Islam because there is not that, you know, that, that thing there. And also we, we talked about how a UK-born imam, he might be on 1,000 to 1,400 a month or a foreign imam might be on 700 to 1,000 a month. There is no training, there is no pay scale. So for example, if you're an imam who's been working and you've just graduated, or if you're an imam that's been working 20 years, there doesn't seem to be uh, a difference in pay to, to, to show this. So some of the solutions that you had come up with while we were discussing this, I'll mention some of them. Um, one is that we can have UK-born imams, so that will deal with cultural issues and language barriers. The imams need to say no. So imams need to learn to become more assertive to say that, no, I can't manage. You know, just as we say that, you know, for, for, for scholars, you have to learn to say, I don't know. <laughs> when you don't know, then maybe for imams, you need to learn to say no when, when it's too much. And also, uh, there has to be understanding between the imams, the committees, and the community. We are all one community. You know, none of us are evil. None of us are angels. We all have to work together because it's in our collective interest we live as a minority in this country, and it's in our collective interest to get this right. Otherwise, our generations will suffer, and they are suffering. But unfortunately, what could happen in the future, as we see now, the atheism is on the rise. Many of our Muslims have left Islam. I meet people who have left Islam, and it's getting quite regular. So, so these are things that we have to really understand. Also, uh, we talked about having a pay scale. So something that should, like professionalization of imams and also a pay skill, so that depending on how many years and what experiences, what skills you've got, your pay increases. And I think at least it should increase with inflation. You know, if inflation and things are becoming more expensive, then like all the rest that work in public sectors expect their wages to go up, we shouldn't expect any difference. There should be a job description for imams and a reasonable job description. Um, we also have to make sure that imams are paid enough that within that employment that's enough money for them. So they shouldn't have to look for secondary, third employments and they definitely shouldn't have to be waiting for benefits. Um, the community, I would say also, needs to understand that they need to put their money in the right places. Uh, we are, Muslims are a community who spend more than any other community in the UK in charity. I was looking at a poster that said Ramadan's coming up and Muslims will contribute one hundred million pounds in Ramadan in charity. You know, one hundred million pounds. So we have to think, you know, and if that's just Ramadan, what about the rest of the year? And another suggestion that came into my mind is that there are many jobs that were talked about that maybe the Imam doesn't have to be doing them. For example, counselling people with problems, unless it comes down to a specific ruling. The counselling can be done by someone else. Yeah. Taking, you know, other people's problems on your shoulder, that can be done by other volunteers or support group or other paid members of staff within the masjids. So I think there are maybe many jobs that the imams are taking on that they don't have to be taking on. They could be given to somebody else and the imams can then stick to the jobs that only they can do, that they specialise in. And the other things that others can do, 
then they shouldn't be left off the hook. And that's why I say as a community myself, I shouldn't be left off the hook. I should be given a job that that, that I can do, but that but that the Imam doesn't need to do. Um, I'd like to thank all of my uh, guests that have come along today. Uh, Mona Mustaqim Saab and uh, Mona Qasim, Hafiz uh, Ubaidur Rahman. Jazakallah uh, khair. I hope that when this goes out, you all listen to it. Please give your comments and feedback. Uh, and possibly ha when this goes out and we also get your feedback, inshallah, we might be able to do another show in the future where we can look at how things have progressed and maybe other issues that have been brought up. We definitely can't do justice uh, within this short time. So, Jazakallah khair, everyone. Assalamu alaikum.